Hello and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio show all about workers' rights and social justice. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcasts to you around the country on Community Radio Network. I'm Dennis Rogatyuk. As the federal election campaign heats up, we thought we'd talk about some of the issues which both leaders of the main parties have seemingly put aside. In particular, we will talk about the exploitation of young people and international workers and students in fast food and retail sector. On the morning of May 20th, many of us were surprised, but not particularly shocked, to see the front page of The Age with the glaring headline of McBurgled, which described the rotten deal that the fast food workers at McDonald's will be getting under the enterprise bargaining agreement brokered by the company and the shop distributive and allied employees union. Under this agreement, the McDonald's workers across the nation will be worse off by at least $50 million, with their wages being reduced by at least one-third below their award rate on average. We'll speak with Josh Cullion, an industrial researcher who helped to uncover these findings and provide them to the media. Joining us now is Josh Cullion, a long-term union official and industrial relations expert. Uh, Josh, welcome to Stick Together. Thanks for having me, Dennis. Oh, it's wonderful. Now, uh, Josh, for those who haven't heard about this, could you tell us uh, what you've managed to uncover through your through your research in the Macus EBA? Uh, sure. So um, I was fortunate enough to have Fairfax provide a comprehensive set of pay slips, rosters, uh, and various other data about workers uh, working at McDonald's. In particular, there was a large set of information um, which included ages and wage rates and the actual hours worked at a store in uh, Sydney. And um, I was able to do an analysis of what those workers earned under the special agreement they have, the enterprise agreement, and what they would have earned if it was just the award, the minimum rates award. What we know is that those workers have lost all of their Saturday and Sunday penalties. They've lost almost all of their night penalties Usually they get 10% between 9pm and 12am under the award and 15% thereafter. There's a small penalty of 10% between 1am and 5am that they get under the agreement. Um, But other than that, all the other penalties are gone and in in, in lieu of that, they get a 6 or 7% loading on on the award rate for all hours worked. But you can imagine that anyone who works most of their hours on a weekend or even a good proportion of their hours if they're working 20 or 30% of their hours on a Sunday, the, the higher wage rate through the week just doesn't, doesn't make up for what they lose in penalty rates. And this definitely also sounds a lot like the rotten deal that Coles workers um, in Queensland have been getting under their EBA. Yeah, yeah sure. So it is. There's a, a couple, of, couple of things with the McDonald's one. It's 100,000 mm-hmm. workers across yes. six or 700 stores. At Coles, there was 700, 800 stores and about 75,000 workers. At Coles, uh, what we've what we found uh, in the first analysis that was done last year from a suburban uh, western western suburbs of Melbourne store, we found that uh, most of the workers there were worse off under the new agreement that had mm-hmm. been negotiated at Coles. There was a Fair Work Commission um, case after that, which um, saw the casual staff and the junior staff all get better wages as a result of uh, those investigations. But unfortunately. Uh, the vast majority of staff, ongoing part-time and full-time staff, whether they were young or old, um, remained worse off. And so I've been representing uh, Duncan Hart, a trolley collector from yes. uh, Brisbane, 
um, in an appeal in that case, and we're just waiting for the decision in the Fair Work Commission. Mm, yes, and I'm just looking at some stats here as well in the um, in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, article. It says like just in places like South Australia New South, or New South Wales, you you, lit- you literally have uh, you know, um, McDonald's workers losing between four four and six thousand dollars in uh, in their rates with with this with this new agreement. Yeah, so, so the agreement itself is it was struck in 2013, um, but um, secretly in February and March of this year, another 60, um, 65 stores were brought under that special agreement, and uh, about well many thousands of workers had their wages cut overnight in March. Um, you're right; it's uh, what we found that at least at the Sydney store, and we know it's replicable across almost every other McDonald's store, is that. 63% of the workers were worse off, and they were worse off on average $1,000. So you can imagine some are worse off two or $300. Some are worse off three, four, $5,000 a year when it's averaged out over the year. So uh, those 100, 170 workers, 107 of them were worse off um, by the tune of $107,000 a year. Um, so, yes, it, it reaches very deep into some... Some of these pockets aren't very big to begin with. We're talking about 14 and 15 year olds being worse off a thousand dollars a year. Yes, and but it also really feels like um, a real a real cross industry campaign to really destroy the penalty rates uh, before the before the election comes. Well, sort of before and uh, you know after the, after the election. Yeah, unfortunately, this the, the, these arrangements hark back now to the um, dark years of the work choices legislation. These agreements have been uh, have been repeatedly made over the last five to ten years. Every major fast food outlet and uh, every major retailer has a special deal now, which uh, dissolves, abolishes, reduces, significantly cuts the penalty rates across the working week. Um, and it's costing these workers. Our estimate is it's about a half a million workers that are losing somewhere between three hundred and five hundred million dollars a year um, because of these uh, these cuts. Mm. And uh, considering that the um, SDA is the main partner to these uh, to these agreements, uh, what kind of an external pressure do you think the union movement could apply to force uh, the union out of these sorts of deals? Well, I think that the first step is for for the union movement to be debating these issues and debating them openly. It's important that the peak bodies um, investigate and take responsibility for what's happening to many many workers, and I think. I think the thing that occurs to me is that we're now facing an unprecedented attack on the penalty rates of all workers. And if we had a half a million workers in fast food and retail who didn't already have them cut, who thought that there was some some skin in the game at this election, um, then we wouldn't be facing these cuts the way we are. So I think that the union movement and the statutory authorities, such as the Fair Work Ombudsman and the Fair Work Commission, they they need to all take a good hard look at what's going on and make sure that make sure that actions taken to ensure that these lowest paid workers aren't exploited. Mm. And uh, we're coming up, uh, uh, we're finally com- coming up to an election date. And how, how do you think we can we can get young people, you know, the ones you, des- you describe, um, especially teenagers who are, wor- who are working in places like McDonald's, to really start thinking about defending their penalty rates and realizing how po- how po- important they are for the future. Well, I think the very first step has to be about understanding what's actually gone on. So for a lot of these, uh, for a lot of these young people, it would be great to have some basic uh, information and educative resources available to them to understand what the rights would be under the award and what the, what's actually happened in these agreements. 
I think um, that the broader movement, the broader labour movement, needs to take responsibility for why these penalty rates are able to be cut in this way. You know, we, we when Work Choices was doing it, we all had great outrage. It's been happening right under our noses now since Work Choices. And I think it's time for us to stump up and actually legislate to protect these rates. At the moment, an agreement can undercut them. They shouldn't be allowed to. These are the most minimum wages paid to our lowest wage workers in Australia. The, they should be protected in law so that no matter what gets put into an agreement, every worker is guaranteed at least the wage that they would have earned if there hadn't have been an agreement in the first place. So I think young workers need to know what's going on. They need to understand how these changes have been made but then the rest of us need to take responsibility and protect these penalty rates for the future. Of course. Josh, thank you so much for joining us on Stick Together. Thanks for your time. No less significant has been the ongoing scam involving international students and immigrant workers being exploited by the 7-Eleven franchise across Australia. We have covered the issue time and time again in this program. It remains one of the most one of the biggest wage scams in modern times. A protest organized by the 7-Eleven workers and members of Unite the Union gathered in front of the 7-Eleven store in Melbourne CBD on Wednesday the 19th. Alex Bethel, the Greens candidate for Batman, spoke out against the exploitation of immigrant workers at the rally. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you all today. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional of the lands that we live on. Uh, actually, my own uh, family situation is that my father arrived in Australia in 1952 as an international student, and he worked um, uh, to pay his way through university in Adelaide. And because of the the fights and the struggles of Australian workers a hundred years beforehand. Um, he was able to enjoy things like a minimum wage, an eight-hour day, and, uh, and holiday entitlements. And it's a salutary uh, case that uh, 50 years or uh, 70 years later, we've got a situation where 20,000 young people, many of them international students, are owed more than half their wages over a decade um, for working in 7-Eleven. We've heard from Anthony about uh, the processes by which that uh, systematic exploitation was carried out. Um, the Greens are determined to, to do what we can to protect the, the rights of those workers and to ensure that those people, uh, their, their wages are returned to them. I was just speaking with a gentleman over here who's had two friends uh, who work for the 7-Eleven franchise. Um, one of them received a letter uh, a few months ago um, uh, stating that uh, their wage claim is being looked at. But unfortunately, the other friend of this gentleman worked at 7-Eleven more than 10 years ago. And uh, there's no way, I think, that at the moment his case can be uh, fairly dealt with. So um, Adam Bant uh, has taken the initiative in the House of Representatives. He has passed legislation uh, to try and ensure that franchise holders um, are able to be held accountable by the law so that the corporations, uh, the head office, uh, will pay the wages where franchise holders and franchisees, franchisees uh, have failed to do so. That legislation is crucial. It's a crucial plank um, of protecting workers' rights in our current heavily casualised uh, labour force. 
the other thing the Greens managed to do was to initiate a Senate inquiry uh, which exposed this whole um, awful business. Um, the Greens stand in solidarity uh, with the 20,000 young people, uh, the workers who are still waiting for their wages and we are determined to ensure that we put in place legislation and the protections of workers' rights so that this cannot happen again. And we thank Unite uh, for standing with workers um, who uh, need protection and we will continue to stand alongside you uh, doing what we can in Parliament. Thank you very much. Tune in to Stick Together, all about workers' rights and social justice. 8.30am Wednesday, 6.30am Thursday, 7am Saturday. Or listen on demand on 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. Now for some good news and a nice surprise for all your listeners. Some of you may have heard that the Victorian Trades Hall has recently received $10 million grant to help partially restore and renovate it as part of the statewide funding campaign to preserve and protect important heritage sites. Naturally, the Liberal Party has come out against it, to put it mildly, claiming that Premier Daniel Andrews is, u- is using taxpayer funds to beef up the pockets of his union mates. Well, today on today's show, we decided to invite someone who has been at the forefront of restoring the trades hall's physical and political integrity for several years now. Joining us now is Luke Hilakari, the Secretary of the Victorian Trades Hall Council. Luke, it's great to have you on the show. Great to be back with you and all the uh, friends at 3CR. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And now, look, um, last week we heard that uh, Trades Hall will be, will be receiving $10 million to help renovate. Now, naturally, the Liberal Party was not too happy to hear that. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about uh, the details of the renovation? Yeah, so the Victorian Trades Hall Council, as many listeners know, is the oldest working union building in the world. It's a magnificent building. It's a Joseph Reed building, uh, same type of building that if you look around exhibition exhibition centre, if you think about the State Library, you know, these are sort of classic Joseph Reed uh, designs, and we're fortunate enough that we have one too for the movement. Uh, it's an important building historically. Uh, there were discussions around Federation, it, you know, that building was built in celebration of the victory of the eight-hour day, the battle against conscription was fought out of trade hall. Uh, it's a magnificent building, it's a historic building, and it needs preservation. Now, like many of these older buildings, over time, uh, it just starts to run down. So people made it to last 100 years, and it's exactly done that, uh, and it's done a little bit more. But the problem is that we've had droughts, and we've had you know, some flooding rains, and what that meant is it's taken its toll over the building, and um, we haven't had the money to renovate over time. So what we really need to do is to restore the place. So we got some heritage architects in to examine what needs to be done in the building, and they say it's about $28 million worth of work to get the building back up to scratch. Um, that includes things that, you know, you'd expect in, in any building. You'd expect, you know, disability access. you expect the lifts to be yes. working. Yes. Um, so there's some stuff like that that needs to be done too. Um, so if you currently go into the building, 
you'll see all the work that needs to be done. There's probably no other historic building like it where when you walk to the front door, you are greeted by scaffolding. You know, yes. There is a significant amount of work that needs to be done. Now, $10 million is a great start, and we, we welcome you know that announcement by the Andrews government. It's terrific. Um, but the Liberal Party has, of course, condemned it. Um, they seem to like heritage, so long as it isn't working-class heritage. Yes, it's, and, I, think, I thought it was quite ironic uh, to consider that the Conservatives were the one opposing restoration of a historic heritage building. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? You think, uh, you think cons- conservation would be naturally conservative in nature, but uh, it obviously depends on what type of history you like. So if, if you look around the state, you know, there was $100 million committed to Flinders Street Station, and part of that money was to go to that ballroom upgrade. Yes. If you look at State Library of Victoria, there's $50 million. If you look at Parliament House itself, you know, they didn't complain when $80 million was invested to fix that up. $10 million is a very small amount, considering the amount of restoration that needs to be done at Trade Hall. Of course. You know, yeah, so, yeah. you know, and that's, that's what we're looking for, that, that yeah. type of support. And so we're very pleased we've got a start in that. Like, the $10 million is a significant fund. Um, our, our job now is to make sure that we get the best value out of that because what we want to do is we want to open up this hall to, you know, all members of the community. So currently we do some events, you know, you'll see, like, the, um, straight, the uh, International Comedy Festival, spend some time there during the year. You see various groups occupied, you know, everyone yes. from the political group down to, you know, Opera Opera Australia, you know, they have some space there too. So what we want to do is to make this building more available, but to do that, we really need to make the building safe. Mm, of course. And it also feels like Trades Hall has uh, undergone a real political renovation in the last uh, few years. <laughs> you know, we've had the organizing campaigns um, uh, sort of in the past, like the March in March. We had the We Are Union campaign. We've, uh, you know, this, the women's and young workers centers uh, have been set up. Uh, how did this all come about? You know, what prompted such a um, renovation, such a re- regeneration, so to speak? Uh, unions. Unions were looking for a change. Uh, unions. We're seeing the challenges that our movement faces. We understand that our movement is declining. And, you know, if, if we want to change that and we want to be workers to be more powerful and we want workers to have better gains and better conditions, um, something had to give. Uh, and that's what happened at Trades Hall. So there's largely five areas in which we're spending our time focusing on. Um, one of them is the political industrial stuff with, that you see in the We Are Union campaign. Yes. That successful campaign that threw out the Liberals in Victoria after one term, that, that hadn't been done for you know, nearly 60 years, so that was a huge achievement, and you know, there was just thousands of unionists that got involved in that campaign. Uh, the other stuff that we're doing is we're trying to focus on women. Yes. So a big focus is, you know, we used to have only a 0.6 EFT invested in that space, but we now have four people working into that space. Uh, we think that there is a whole lot of issues that uh, have not been addressed at Trades Hall in a systematic way for some time, and we're going to put our resources into that. Uh, and we do it firmly through a feminist agenda. We're very proud of that. Uh, we have a terrific team doing that work. Uh, a large victory that they've had recently is around domestic and family violence leave. They've been coordinating with public sector mm-hmm. unions to make that a part of you know, a policy that would cover people who are in and about the public sector. So and that's about one in ten workers in this state. So that's an amazing victory. There's a lot of work going into that space. Um, mm-hmm. Young people. We have the Young Workers Centre. Uh, we know that young people are more likely to be exploited. 
25% mm-hmm. of them are in some type of black market jobs. Of course, and we've seen, uh, and we, sort of, uh, we've also seen the story of the exploitation of the micas workers recently as well. So, yeah, it well, really, fe- it really feels like we need something as young, something like Young Workers Centre right there. Franchises everywhere, like that's the system of franchises, where you know they're paying a royalty or a dividend to a corporate office, and they seem to the only way for them to break even is for them to exploit work- workers, is to engage mm-hmm. in some type of wage theft. Yes. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on franchisees. You saw it with 7-Eleven. Uh, and, you know, we're going to start to see some campaigns with some of the cycling delivery companies. So there's, there's, there's a lot going on. So what we have there now in the Young Workers Centre is if you've got an issue and you're a young person under the age of 30, you can give us a call and we'll talk about how we can organise in, in your work site to make sure you're, you are safe, that you're not being bullied, and then you're receiving proper paying conditions. Um, we have a team of university students who are law students in their final years who are on the phones who will take your phone call and work with our internal lawyer through these issues and see how we can help make change because we need to organise young people, right? Um, only 8% of young people are members of their union mm-hmm. um, and that would be our future unless something changed. Um, and so we're trying to make that change. Mm-hmm. And are there also avenues for, uh, for educating uh, young people and the young workers in their, um, well, in terms of what, what unions stand for, like, you know, why penalty rates are important and why they should uh, fight for them? Yeah, you're completely right. So we have a school visit outreach program, the Clark Weeks program. Our goal is to go to every high school across this state um, within sort of five years. Uh, we've, <laughs> we're on the way this year. So this year, um, I'm hoping that we'll get up to sort of a little bit over 50 schools and what we do there is schools invite us in to talk to their students just at that age when they're about to get their first job. So when young people get their first job, they should know that what a safe workplace looks like, why that workplace should be free of bullying, and what conditions they're entitled to. We think education is a great space for us to be in. Um, and we want to talk to these young people about if there are problems or how they can organise together to make change. Mm. And we've also seen, um, as, as I mentioned before, the We Union campaign helped organise um, a lot of the grassroots activity, like you know, phone banks and door knocks and street uh, street stalls and prelude to elections. Uh, but do you feel like it could it could say do more in the future? It could advance in the future this kind of uh, campaigning. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you'll know there's a federal election on now. Um, so the We Are Union campaign in Victoria has switched into gear. There, we know that the attacks from Malcolm Turnbull will not only devastate any number of workers, we're thinking about construction workers, you know, with the introduction of the idea of an ABCC again, you know, that was a big threat in the construction sector. When the ABCC existed, every 10 days a construction worker was killed at work. That was outrageous, and the fact that Liberals want to bring that back is is, is just an unspeakable horror. What we also are looking at is, is major cuts, We've seen 80 billion cut from education and healthcare, and then we've seen the attacks on penalty rates. Yeah. So the We Are Union campaign has geared up into that. Uh, two weeks ago, we had 170 unionists at Trades Hall on a phone bank. We made thousands and thousands of calls that night. You know, that's the type of thing that only a movement can do. And you're right. What's next is we need to advance the interest of workers uh, to improve our paying conditions. And that's what you're seeing uh, this week. Tomorrow we'll be at Parliament House with over uh, over uh, 60 workers 
and we'll be talking one-on-one to members of parliament, with workers speaking directly to the politicians, telling them what type of jobs we want in the state of Victoria. Yes. And is there also potential for um, uh, campaigning and, and assisting in industrial actions when, let's say, when, when strike action does take place by uh, by different by different work sites in Victoria? Will there, do you think there would also be um, you know space for trade for the trades hall um, to, uh, to assist with the community and yeah, C- completely. So we've we've had uh, any number of unions now saying, look, we've got a large industrial dispute on. Can you? talk to your We Are Union network and turn them out to assist. It's not just for industrial campaigns where you might have a picket line, but it's also stuff like uh, where we have industrial actions and protests. So you'll see now large blocks of workers show up that haven't otherwise been engaged before, yes. um, who are now educated and motivated and want to stand in solidarity with workers all across the state. Uh, that gives us uh, strength that we didn't have before. Uh, and that's what was so important about the We Are Union campaign. It was developing a whole generation of younger and older workers to make sure that workers have the best possible conditions in our state. Mm. And how do you feel about, uh, well, say, this current campaign to put, to put the Liberals last that has been initiated uh, in the lead up to a federal election? Um, now, can do, can we win it? And or what could be in store for the uh, for the whole? and for the union movement after the election? Completely. Yeah, we can win this. It can be done. It's been done before, but it's not easy. Uh, In the state of Victoria, there are four marginal seats that are in play. Uh, They are Dunkley, Deakin, Corangamite and Latrobe. Uh, There is a lot of work going in from the We Are Union people in those seats. Um, Every day there are street stalls and train stations and door knocks and phone banks taking place. Um, We need more unionists to get involved. So we would ask you to jump on our Twitter page, see that, see, sorry, our Facebook page, or jump on our Twitter handle, or go, or go to weareunion.org.au and step up and get involved. Like this election, you know, we need to toss these Conservatives out. And that's why we talk about putting the Liberals last. Um, everyone has a range of views about who they want to put first, and, and that's fine. But if we're going to make this happen, uh, we need to do that collectively, we need to do that together, and we need volunteers. We're going to need volunteers... For door knocks, we need volunteers for pre-poll. We're going to need, you know, more people again for election day. Uh, so if people can, you know, put up their hand and do a shift, I'll tell you what, it'll make a big difference. Well, on that note, looks. Thank you so much for joining us um, on Stick Together this this week. Complete pleasure to be with you again, Dennis. Thanks, comrade. That was Luke Hilakari from the Victorian Trades Hall Council wrapping up our show today. We'd like to remind our listeners of a very important upcoming event taking place this Saturday, May 28th, in Coburg. Socialist Alliance Councillor Sue Bolton, together with dozens of community organizations, trade unions, religious groups, anti-racism organizations, and 3 Community Radio itself, have organized an anti-racism rally to take place uh, on Saturday, May 28th, 11 a.m., outside the Kerberg Library at Victoria Street Mall. It is incredibly important to come along on that day and show solidarity with our Aboriginal, African and Muslim brothers and sisters and any other ethnic or religious group which has been discriminated and targeted by fascist groups and the racist establishment. Well, that'll be all for Stick Together this week. I'm Dennis Rogatuk. Thanks for listening to today's program and tune in same time next week. <laughs>